Welcome to the Sacred Gyre Podcast, staying connected to your deepest values as you work for change. In Episode 7, I opened a conversation based on the book Strangers to Ourselves by Timothy Wilson. I talked about his thoughts and my reactions to the ways in which our adaptive unconscious is both vital to our survival and a source of negative errors. It is where sight, sound, smell, and touch help us build a picture of the world we are immersed in. It's made up of many different aspects that interact quickly and almost entirely out of our awareness. It creates beliefs and mental models based on past experiences, family history growing up, social and cultural constructs of the society we were raised in, and other factors of which we are mostly not aware. At the same time, we also have a conscious side to our minds, and we love our conscious minds. We're aware of the ways we plan, make choices, and tell the stories of our own lives and of the world we live in. We often feel the power of thinking consciously about right and wrong and making choices that we believe make us good people. And all of this is true. We do have conscious minds that engage in these activities and more. And we constantly navigate among these different parts of ourselves, and I believe we are helped when we do so in a more thoughtful way. To bring this point home, let's look at a few examples. On page 19 of Strangers to Ourselves, Wilson says, Humans have a sixth sense called proprioception, which is the sensory feedback we constantly receive from our muscles, joint, and skin, signaling the position of our bodies and limbs. Without knowing it, we constantly monitor this feedback and make adjustments to our bodies. For example, when we lift our left arm, we subtly shift some weight to the right side of our bodies to maintain our balance. If we didn't, we would list dangerously to one side. Now, in rare cases, people lose this sixth sense, and Wilson mentions one case, a person who suffered nerve damage, lost all proprioception, and was, as Wilson says, like the straw man in The Wizard of Oz, newly released from his pole. This man had to learn to keep conscious awareness of his body parts in order to relearn how to do simple things like walk or eat breakfast. On the same page, Wilson writes about depth perception. Outside of our awareness, we take in visual information that our unconscious minds translate into a picture of the world around us. The result is a picture of shape, color, and which things are nearer to us or farther away. As Wilson says on page 20, if these non-conscious computations were to cease, the world would look like a confusing jumble of pixels and colors instead of cohering into meaningful three-dimensional images. Everything from riding a bicycle to building the house we live in to me finding the keys to type on my computer as I compose this episode, would be impossible. Now, 
While our adaptive unconscious is vital to our survival, it is also something that can be harmful. We do hold stereotypical beliefs about other people and about the way they speak and act. If we allow ourselves to treat them negatively based on those stereotypes, we will do harm. It might show up as overlooking an otherwise qualified person for a job or steering someone away from rentals or homes for sale they might otherwise appreciate and flourish in. There is the famous example of some orchestras putting curtains on the stage so reviewers could not see the gender of the person before they played their instruments, a change that led to an increase in the percentage of women hired by the orchestras. On pages 164 to 165 of The Adaptive Unconscious, Wilson recounts a story about friends of his, who are both research psychologists, who wanted to buy a new home. They made a list of attributes, and as they viewed homes for sale with their agent, gave a number to rate each house on those attributes in hopes this would help them find the best place to purchase. They later purchased a home that was very different than what they came up with in their rational analysis of their likes and dislikes, and at the time of writing this book had happily lived there for 15 years. Wilson then describes the process his own real estate agent uses. They listen patiently as a client describes the home they want to purchase and ignores what they say. She then takes them to view a wide variety of homes for sale, including ones, as he quotes her saying, quite different from what they had described. The agent notices how they respond in the moment to each home, and from their emotional reactions, learns what it is they really want. He quotes many real estate agents as saying, quote, buyers lie. Now, Wilson replies to this on page 165, saying, buyers, of course, do not deliberately misrepresent what they want. Rather, they may not be fully aware of their preferences or have difficulty articulating them. One reason my real estate agent is so successful, he says, is that she is quite skilled at inferring what her clients want and often knows their preferences better than the clients themselves do. He then goes on to recount stories of studies where people make inaccurate analytical decisions about how they feel and why with negative results, like giving up on a relationship after doing a factual analysis of what they did and did not like about the other person, and later realizing it was a mistake that they in fact loved the person and missed them. Wilson also cites other studies that show other people sometimes are more aware of who we are, of our likes and dislikes, than we are. I have frequently described myself as highly introverted, for example, but this surprises people who have interacted with me. This is because I can be quite loquacious at times, or because they have seen me read my poetry where I am very animated. In fact, I have changed over the years. My anger at oppressions I witnessed and experienced in the 1940s and 50s, yet loudly expressed in the 1960s, and over the last dozen years, I've grown to love reading my poetry out loud. These I experience as being expressions of what I perceive as my life journey or my calling. 
I still prefer to be at home, reading, thinking, watching movies or TV series that move me rather than going out and socializing. For me, I think that I am right about being introverted and that others are also accurately describing me as not being introverted. They and I are seeing me from different perspectives, and we each can learn by hearing what the other person has to say. Now, what are we to make up all this? For me, it comes down to these thoughts. We are amazing human beings encased in a body that both gives us a very useful picture of the world and ourselves that allows us to thrive and is also a body and mind that cannot take in all the information coming to it from outside us. This means we do not see or understand the world exactly as it is. We see it good enough for what we need to be successful in navigating it. This also applies to the social world in which we are immersed. There are things we know about ourselves that others don't, and things they know about us that we are not aware of. To live beyond simple survival, by which I mean to have higher aspirations about the kind of person we want to be and how we act in the world, we need both ourselves and each other. We are both unique individuals and also a product of our relationship with others. Our own mind is a complex system that is beyond our ability to know in its enormity. We are not able to come up with some perfect theory that will guide us without error. We must, therefore, be happy with some version of good enough. We understand our minds good enough to mostly do the right thing, mostly follow a path of action that we will be happy about when we look back on it. Similarly, the social world in which we live is beyond our ability to define exactly or to have some perfect theory to guide us. We do know that our relationships with others can help us to grow and to nurture our sense of well-being. We also know that either our own minds or the social world around us can lead us away from the best version of ourselves or of our society to which we aspire. We live with these imperfections, and they also are a source of learning and growth, which we care about because we are also not content with being whatever was good enough yesterday for the rest of our lives. Whether explicitly or implicitly, I believe we all have values that include safety and blossoming for ourselves, and the desire for that to be true for others. I believe we all aspire to live by our values as best we can. To be a kind and decent human being requires a constant, dynamic balance between our individual and social selves and a willingness to always be in process in our growth toward the ideals we aspire to. I want to invite you to think more deeply about what this book is seeing, but I also want to be honest about a belief of my own. When I read books about our minds, I often have both positive and negative reactions. Many of the books I've read, including this one, have important and accurate information that comes from serious investigations and clinical trials done by hardworking people. 
I like that work and think it is valuable. At the same time, such investigation can give us a false sense of accomplishment. I see our minds as a complex whole, as are our relationships with those around us. Both are systems that include our conscious minds, our adaptive unconscious minds, all the ways our bodies have of perceptions, including the connections we have to people and the physical world around us, and our connection to the larger whole, however you conceive of that. For me, there is room for both a determination to learn and grow and a place for wonder at the larger mystery of our lives that we see dimly. I hope you have found these episodes interesting and useful so far. They have focused on our individual minds and the role of the smaller social circles around us. In a future episode, I will share some thoughts from the level of the larger organizations of which we are all a part. My jumping-off point will be a book written by Peter Senge titled The Fifth Discipline, The Art and Practice of the Learning Organization. Thank you for listening. If you would like to be notified of future episodes, please sign up on the contacts page of sacredgyre.com.